You can be opening your Bibles to the book of Matthew and chapter 28. That's page 993. But I'm going to read another verse before we get to that. That's going to be uh, kind of the uh, beginning text. But um, I have another text. So if you'll also open your Bibles, you can keep your finger one or the other. I put a little red sticky notes in mine so I can keep up a little bit better. Um, Look with me at Luke uh, chapter 6. Page 1025, 1025. If you're using the Bible in the pew, if you got your own, you're on your own, okay? So that's fine. Uh, glad that you have it. I'm preaching out of the ESV. If you have a different version, um, also fine, but just warning you. Uh, everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, it was fun, wasn't it? It was great. And, uh, and we got to go to South Georgia, uh, change of plans at the very last minute, and uh, had, a, had a super great time. But how many of y'all were here last Sunday night? Well, I don't know who, last Sunday night, who was here? Yeah, we had over 150 people here for supper, so some of y'all really missed it, I guess. Uh, It was a lot of fun. We had a Thanksgiving meal early, and I appreciate that, because then I had to not eat for two days before Thanksgiving, but it was okay. Uh, We had a lot of good food, and boy, it was, it was fun. We've been in this Together series. We've talked a lot about what it means uh, to do things together, and and, uh, I kind of wanted to talk about this because... As I've often said, and we'll say often again, uh, we, we kind of tend to read the Bible as if it's to me as an individual, and that's true. There are things in there for me as an individual, but God is speaking to his church, and we are part of the church. You, you kind of have to understand what uh, the church is. There's what we call the church universal, and only people who are truly believers of Christ are in that church. That means doesn't matter your label on the outside. It's those who realize they're a sinner and they need a Savior and they've come to Jesus at the cross to have the forgiveness of sins as blood to wash it away and then went and visited that empty tomb to know that because he rose, you too will rise and that he rose so you could have the Holy Spirit to help you in this Christian life. And we've talked about a lot of things we do together. We worship or sing together. Uh, We fellowship together. We do a lot of things together. And Today, I'm calling it Together we teach. And uh, I really wanted to use another word for that, but that word communicates us a little bit better. And uh, and we're going to see this uh, beginning in Matthew 28. But before we look there, I I just want to ask a question. Uh, Maybe more people raise their hands this time. How many of y'all remember homework? Yeah, me too. I I never enjoyed homework. I figured I went to school. You should have done it then, but whatever. But the reason we had homework as an adult, I understand, is you needed to practice what you learned at home so when you came back the next day, you would be a little bit more familiar with it, a little bit more able to do it, uh, and the teacher could continue that process on through time. There's an old saying that practice makes perfect, which is a lie. Perfect practice makes perfect. If you practice it wrong, you'll always be wrong. If you practice it right, you'll always be right. And, and this sort of helps define uh, the Christian life. I, I remember when referring to to homework, uh, when I was in uh, school and uh, working on a master's degree, uh, I had to take Hebrew. And by had to, the language Hebrew, I, I mean that because my school demanded for me to get a diploma, which was my goal, so I did it. And uh, so uh, I did enjoy it, but I had a really good friend. His dad was a professor as well, not in the, the school we were in, but in the college below that school. And uh, we were in Hebrew class together. We'd help each other learn the vocabulary and stuff like that. But we didn't study real hard. I'll just put it that way. And so we're in class one day. And the professor said, tomorrow is the final exam. 
And he was, he was about this tall. He was a Chinese man born in Vietnam. He was brilliant. I mean, this dude was smarter than anybody I ever met probably. And then he said, if you haven't started to study yet, you'll never make it. So my friend and I looked at each other and went, oh, no. <laughs> so we stayed up all night at a, at a Huddle House restaurant drinking coffee and studying Hebrew. We both got an A. And when we got our papers back, he looked at me and said, I guess we're Superman. But that wasn't the way you're supposed to do that. Okay, I'm going to tell you, that was a bad way to do that. We need to be learning as we go and applying it as we go. And that, that is the purpose of, quote, unquote, homework. But I want you to see the results of proper homework. I, before I say that, I realized I interrupted myself. We have a church universal, and only true believers are in that church. Then we have physical bodies of the church seen in local visible assemblies. Not everybody in that local visible assembly is actually a Christian. I think most people who are members there think they are. Um, but statistically speaking, and from experience and other things... We find out that a lot of people have joined a church and nobody ever explained to them how to know Jesus Christ in a real and personal way. Uh, we, we, we're good at making rules and regulations, but we never quite learn that you have to be a broken sinner coming to the only place that there's help, which is the blood of Christ. And when Jesus died, he died for you. And then when you realize you need him and you say yes to him, he fills you with the Holy Spirit so you can walk out that Christian life. And so, when the Bible is written, it's written to those of us in those local visible assemblies to apply what God wants in His Word. And maybe during that process, if a person's in that case of being a part of the church but not being a part of the church, they're part of the local church, but they're not really in that true church that only God knows the membership of, then, uh, then hopefully they'll learn that as they're learning Scripture and, and they'll come to Christ. And now I want you to look at Luke 6 and verse 40. And, and I'm taking this verse a little bit out of context just because I got a lot of verses to cover. Um, but I want you to notice, uh, I'll say that after we read verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. I want you to understand that is a process we like to call discipleship, but it is it is teaching for a change of life. It's teaching so you become something different than what you were. But in that, the, we're gonna, the next verse will kind of help us see how that works out. But I want you to notice the context of this verse 40. He told them a parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? They'll both fall into a ditch. He says that verse and then he says, Don't you, when you see the speck in your brother's eye... Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the big out of your own eye, the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that's in your brother's eye. What he's saying is if you're going to teach, you have to get it right first yourself. Now, it doesn't mean you have to know everything, but you have to know the thing you're teaching. And we learn by not only knowledge, but experience. You see, God did not call us to just knowledge. He called us to obedience. So take it back to Matthew 28. You may still have a finger there. I hope you do. And you hear this verse a lot. If you go to church a lot, I want you to take this home with you today. If you'll put up that phrase for me. You cannot be a student of Jesus if you're not doing the homework. 
You can't be a student of Jesus if you're not doing the homework. And you can't get it all done the night before. Because you don't know when the night before is. We got 24-hour warning. My friend and I, his name's Carl. He's a pastor just outside of Columbia, South Carolina now. Not in our denomination, but I don't, he's a PCA pastor. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and just a great man. I, I love him to death. And, uh, and, and so what, the way we did wasn't what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be learning along and along. And in Matthew 28, we see it as the Great Commission. But I want to point out something about it. You could probably quote this to me, but I am going to read it. I'm going to start in verse 18. Um, And Jesus came and said to them, all authority. How much is all in all authority? All. All is all. That's all all is, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So who has authority in heaven and earth? Right. And how much authority does he have? So is he sharing his authority with the President of the United States? No. Is he sharing his authority with any leader of any country in the world? Is he sharing his authority with any other person in a position of authority or power on this earth? No, he doesn't share that a bit. In other words, where is our highest allegiance? To Jesus Christ. Period. And if he said it, that's what we have to do. No matter what everybody else tells us we have to do. Right? Boy, amens kept getting weaker and weaker. (laughs) But that's true. But here's what he told us to do. And that's what I want you to catch. But you won't want to do it if you don't realize you don't have a choice. Because you're either with him or against him. And it's all authority that he has. Now listen to what he says. And this is a part we all like to quote. Most people just don't quote verse 18 for some reason. 19, go therefore. What is the therefore therefore? Because he has all authority. So now he told us to go. We could preach a whole sermon on the word go. And what does he say to do? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, the Lord led me to that verse for this sermon, um, but I didn't realize he had something to show me. Because when I look up words, I'm looking them up out of a King James because that's what my little place to look them up that's how it talks and fortunately I'm familiar enough with the King James I can usually find it and then bring it back to what I'm studying and in the King James it says go therefore and teach all nations it uses that word teach and then in verse 20 it uses that word teach again so I looked up the words then after I looked up the words I looked back at my ESV and my ESV got it right those are two different words for teach and the first word is disciple it is to make someone look like their teacher That is what disciple is, a disciplined follower. The disciples of Jesus, the Bible says later, they took note of them that they were ignorant and unlearned men, and they only thought that way because it meant the disciples didn't go to their school, so how could they know all this? And it said they took note of them that they had been with Jesus. And so Jesus is our teacher. That's why the Holy Spirit's here to teach us. And so he says, make the nation's disciples. Well, what's the difference between a disciple and, and, and being taught? The difference is you are discipled to action. You can learn knowledge, but if you're learning, if you're becoming a disciple, you have to change the way you act and talk and speak and think to the way your teacher acts and thinks and t- teaches and carries on. 
So in those days, that's how they did it. You would attach yourself to a teacher and walk around with it. Now, Jesus called out the 12 disciples. And there's a lot of verses about that. And, well, he had 11 disciples and one that just hung around with him for three years and then betrayed him. But those disciples learned from him. And after the Holy Spirit came, they, became, they began acting like Christ did. And as they taught, it came to a point in one town where they said those people are acting like little Christians, like little Christs. And that's the word Christian. That's where we get the word Christian. Those who were believers in Christ were first called followers of the way. They were learning. They were following the master. And that's what they're referred to. But they get to that one town and the people said, wow, y'all are like little Christ. And so that became the term that we use even today. A Christian is someone who looks like Jesus. You cannot look like Jesus if you're not a disciple first. Because you've decided, I'm going to follow him, I'm going to learn from him, I'm going to do whatever he says. You know, we talked about people knowing Christ and not knowing Christ. A lot of people come to Christ just because they want fire insurance, right? Always tickles me when they, which we've needed fire insurance. Thank God we had it. Our barn burnt down one day, a couple, few years back. But, uh, but you know what that fire insurance didn't do? Didn't keep the barn from burning down. You see, salvation isn't really insurance. Salvation is a byproduct of being a follower of Christ. You with me? You don't just say a magic prayer and get to go to heaven and do anything else you want to do. you got to start looking at it and talking like Jesus. Well, how do you do that? Well, he tells us right here in these verses. Because in verse 20, he says, Teaching them to observe all things that I commanded. We could memorize every word that is recorded in Scripture that came straight out of the mouth of Christ and still never obey one of them. And we would think, oh, that guy's amazing. He can quote everything Jesus ever said. And he could be lost as a goat and acting like a lost man. You following me? So we're supposed to be teaching each other. We're supposed to be teaching people that are new in Christ, first born in Christ, babies in Christ. But we need to be teaching each other the rest of our lives. Because How many of y'all here now know everything you possibly need to know about being a Christian? Oh, got one liar. Okay, good. No, he was, he was just joking with me there. Listen, none of us are there, right? We know that. And so the teacher has to always be being taught. You will start becoming ignorant the day you quit learning. And I'm using that word technically. I'm not insulting anyone. Ignorance just means I don't know what you know. I'm ignorant about a lot of things you know that I don't know. I just, and there's a ton of those. I may know something you don't know, and it's my job to help you learn it or understand it, right? So the Great Commission is more than just going and talking about Jesus and seeing people saved. The full commission means once they become a Christian, not only do we make a public declaration in the baptismal waters that they have died with Christ and were buried and raised again by Christ, with Christ, in Christ, so the Holy Spirit now fills them, then we have to take them and put them in the nursery and start teaching them what it means to be a Christian because they're babies, spiritually speaking. Look in Timothy, he talks about that, that we need to grow in Christ. So... The first task to teach is to make them a student, a disciple. But the second task is to instruct them to obey what Jesus commanded. We have to do what he commanded. And if you don't do it, you can't claim it. 
People ask me, do you like to hunt? Yes, I like to hunt. Are you a hunter? No, because I rarely get to do it. I rarely go hunting, but I like to do it. But I can't say I'm a hunter because a hunter is someone who hunts a lot. Same with fishing, same with anything. I can do it, I can do it, but I wouldn't say I'm great at it. I couldn't teach anybody else what to do because that's not my thing. So the Bible is telling us that we have to become a disciple so that we can teach other people to become a disciple. Let me prove that to you. If you look with me on page 1181 or 2 Timothy chapter 2, again, we have a formula. Paul gave us this formula. He's actually given it to Timothy, who's a pastor of a church. And uh, Timothy, he had uh, discipled himself. Uh, Timothy was one of his students. And, uh, and Timothy had become a Christian because of his mom and his grandmom, who were Greeks. Their, his dad was Jewish. And, uh, and, but he learned the faith from his mother and his grandmother. And Paul says to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach, say it with me, others also. Say that with me. Teach others also. Now, how is Timothy going to teach others? What is he going to teach others? What he learned from Paul. That he saw, observed, and learned firsthand from Paul. Well, where did Paul get it? Well, he got it some from the apostles, but he also tells us he lived three years in a desert. Y'all know that's the campus of God's school, right? It's called Whale University. The campus is on the backside of the desert. You get alone with Jesus, and he'll teach you a lot of stuff out of his scripture, right? So Paul learned it there. But you know, there was a, a unique thing about the apostle Paul, who is the human author of this book. He was probably the smartest teacher of his days. Probably, probably one of the most brilliant men who ever lived. I would say that's almost... Not arguable. But he was a student of a man named Gamaliel who was the chief rabbi teacher of his day. And so when people saw Paul, they knew that he had been taught by Gamaliel the way he taught the Old Testament law. And Gamaliel must have been a good teacher because when Jesus knocked him down the road to Damascus and said, come on man, figure this out, you know. And Paul became an apologist to the, to the Old Testament scriptures that apply to Christ. He knew how to do that. And so Paul continued to do that with Timothy and others. So for Timothy to be able to entrust it to faithful men who could teach others also, he first had to hear it, he then had to learn it, and then he had to do it. That word entrust to faithful men, that means to give them that gift and expect them to be able to use it in other people's life. And you do that so they are able to teach other people also. There's a third point I want to make. You can put up that graph now, brother. Thank you. Um, this is a little graph I like to show because that is the description of everything the church is to be doing. Anything added to that is not biblically necessary. Now, I use some words up there we don't use commonly, so I'm going to explain them, not because I think... Everybody in here is dumb because you're not. You're very bright. But we just don't use these words, uh, some of these words very often. One is the word evangelism. Now, I like to use those two words because they both begin with E and I can remember them better. But evangelism is telling someone about Jesus to the point that they realize they need him and they come and they become a Christian. 
The word under that is the word edification. And that is the word we're talking about, teaching. But teaching so that there's an action involved. The body grows stronger. The individual grows stronger. But as the individual grows stronger, the body grows stronger. It means to build up together or to build a house is the root word of that. So those are the two tasks, to bring people to know Christ and then to build them up in their faith so that they can look like Christ, look just like Jesus. The words on the right um, are individually and corporately. And again, we use those words, but just not so often. And here's how I mean it there. Should you as an individual Christian tell people about Jesus and try to bring them to know him? The answer is yes. So individually, we ought to evangelize. But here's something we sometimes forget. Corporately, which means the body here, the local visible church assembly, ought to together be sharing the gospel with people who don't know it. You say, well, how can we all do that together? Well, we do it through projects and things. This isn't preaching the gospel, but you heard Anthony talk about us getting that opportunity maybe to talk to people about the gospel. Just being in that parade, making people aware. Hey, we love you. We want to invite you to come over. We're going to have this candlelight service on Christmas Eve. And we'd love for you to be here and help people to find out where we are. Now, that's the worst kind of evangelism is say, come to us. The best kind of evangelism, remember the first word in Matthew 28, 18, Go. <laughs> We are to go. He didn't tell us to invite everybody to come. He told us to go. But when we do say come, what are we saying? Come meet Jesus. We don't say come to our church. We want you to come meet Jesus. Right? I, I get, you get it. I don't have to explain it. I'm trying too much here. So we do that. But then we have to build people up. And we get doing it together. That's sort of what we're doing now. This is the weakest way we can do this. You're going to hear me talk. I'm going to be spouting out information. You may write it down. You may not. You may remember it. You may not. You may apply it. You may not. So this is kind of ineffective. I don't really know the results of this. But if I do it individually, man, I go to know the results. Because you've got to be accountable to me to make sure I make sure you know what you're supposed to have learned and know. And how do I do that? Because I model it. I teach it. Then you, then you do it. I help you do it. I make sure you learned it. And I help you do it till you can do it. And then I help you teach it to others. And then I let go and you keep doing that process. This is how it's supposed to work. Right? And so we see that there in 2 Timothy 2. 2. But we're going to use the first church as a pattern. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I didn't tell you that one. Acts chapter 2. And it's page 1082. In that pew Bible there, if you're using it. And Acts chapter 2, there's a lot in the verses I'm going to read. But we're going to, we're going to look at verse 42 right now. And they devoted themselves, Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, list some other things. Fellowship, uh, breaking of bread, prayer. We talked about some of those things in these Together series. Things that we ought to be doing together. Today we're talking about teaching. But we're teaching because we're also learning. And you're learning because you're teaching. We see this a lot in the Middle Eastern uh, schooling philosophies and, and things. Um, in martial arts, as an example. Uh, most people are familiar about, oh, he's a black belt, white belt, whatever. And different styles have different color belts. But here, here's where that originated. You have to wash the uniform you're wearing. That's called a gi. Because you're going to get dirty and sweaty every time you practice. But you're never supposed to wash your belt. And way back in the day, they would give them that white belt. And when that belt got so dirty it was black, they knew you had learned it. 
And that's where that came from. And so they just, one day they decided that we didn't like the odor, so they started washing them. And so then they had to give different colored belts, plus it helped the belt industry to sell more belts, right? But I am familiar with one style that once you became a brown belt, you had to start teaching the white belts. You're not a black belt yet. You're not the high teacher yet. You're not good enough to be what is known as a sensei. You're a senpai. You're an assistant teacher at brown. And then when you get the black, now you can teach all by yourself because you've learned it because you've been practicing it properly all that time under supervision. That, that is how Middle Eastern teaching still is, and that's how Jesus wanted us to do it. But I wanted to paint a picture for you because the early church, the very first church, is our model. So I want to paint the picture of what's going on. You're very familiar with all the elements of this story, but I'm going to remind you of them. Um, in Acts chapter 2, we see it. In Acts chapter 2, the, the, the 12, well, 11 apostles, they appointed a new one. They got 12 again. They're praying. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, and this is to help some of you uh, people that are more fundamental than the Bible. It says they were one together in prayer with the women also. Ladies, that was for you. Come on, I was expecting a really high-pitched amen there. Yeah, we're all in this together. This isn't just a man thing. It's an all-of-us thing. And in prayer, and the Holy Spirit fell on them, right? They go out to preach. Peter preaches. He was the appointed one by Jesus to, to, give, to be the midwife to give birth to the church. The Holy Spirit comes down on all of them with a visible sign of it, plus a, another sign of they spoke in their language and everybody listening to them who were from every country, known country in the world at the time, were together for the Feast of, of, of Pentecost and they heard in their own language and 3,000 people got saved. Now today, 3,000 doesn't sound like a big crowd, but in that tiny town and the mode of transportation, that was a lot of people. And here's what I know. You know why 3,000 people got saved that day? Because there were at least 3,000 people there that need to hear it. Amen. You think about that. In other words, you got to talk to people who need to hear it. And you'll figure out which ones needed to when they go, I need that. <laughs> All right? It's not your job to figure that part out. You just tell them. You, now you've got 120 disciples plus 12 apostles plus 3,000 brand new babies just been born in the maternity ward. And they can't go home. They've gathered from a bunch of nations. They can't go home because there's no church at home. Because there ain't no church except this one yet. So here's the issue. 120 people with the apostles have to teach 3,000 people to obey the commandments of Jesus. How do you do that? You thought we had a big task. We got a lot more people in here that can teach than cannot teach or doesn't know that need teaching as a new convert. But what do we do? We just, we soak it up. You know, when your sponge gets full, you got to wring it out occasionally. And if you keep wringing it out, then you need to be refilled. You got to keep being taught we drove to South Georgia and back. We stopped three times for gas coming back. That's a lot of gas. We had to take out a little loan, but we made it. All right? So <laughs> that's a lot of gas. Cause, and it was a Honda, but it still needed gas. It didn't, it, it's going to run out. And you need to be spiritually given to the point that you feel hungry and thirsty again. And you need to fill up some more. 
so you can give it out some more, so you can fill up some more, so you can give it out some more, right? Isn't that the process? Acts 2.42, and these 3,000 people, because we're still in the chapter of the very first church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They devoted themselves. It means earnestly paying attention to it. I don't expect everybody in here to be earnestly paying attention. I want you to, but I know that some of you are not going to. If you're like me, my mind wanders. So I, I can be sitting there hearing great things, and all of a sudden my mind will go off, and I'll come back in later, and, you know, that happens. But these people were so eager to learn, they're earnestly paying attention to what they're being taught. And they are listening to the apostles' teaching. Now, apostles are delegated ambassador, but teaching is instruction. They're instructing them, but what are they instructing them? They're instructing them everything Jesus taught, how it applies from the Old Testament into their lives now that this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus is the Messiah, and here's what he commanded in this new kingdom, how we ought to live. And Matthew is there, and, and John is there. Mark and Luke become a part of all that, and they write some Gospels recounting the life of Jesus also. And they're able to teach and instruct people to obey while they themselves are still learning. Because we come to Acts 6, and there's so many people. The apostles had been feeding the widows in the church, which thousands of people. There's even more get saved. Thousands more are saved by Acts 6. And they said, we're too busy waiting tables. We can't pray and teach and, and, and do what we're supposed to do. So a group of men were started called deacons. They took care of some physical stuff so those apostles could continue studying the Old Testament and writing and learning and remember what Jesus said and all those things so that they could teach those thousands of people what it means to be a Christian. And so they didn't have a big room. They, didn't, they were meeting in homes, small groups. They had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pastors doing that, but it was all the church at Jerusalem. And then Paul and Barnabas start going out and start spreading it to new cities and new towns. And we sit here today because of the Apostle Paul actually literally is traced in the Scripture. So put that chart back up for me. Now do you get it? Were those apostles and 120 individually telling people about Jesus and teaching people about Jesus? Yes. Then they got together in groups in the church together we're teaching people and helping them to grow and telling people about Christ. Well, where did they do that? Did they do surveys? No, they just talked to people they ran into every day at work, ran to the marketplace, their family, their friends. They just went out and talked about Christ, the Messiah, and then brought them into that church where corporately and individually they could teach them. I hope that makes sense to you. Because if you memorize that, know that, the next time we come up with a bright idea, you can say, well, how does that evangelize or edify? How does that help people know Jesus or come to Jesus? It may introduce us so that we can talk to them later, and that's great. That's follow paloozas about that, just parades like that. We're just letting people know, hey, we got something to share with you. We might not share it in this moment, but we'd be glad to share it with you at some other time as soon as possible. So you can just leave that up while I ask some questions. Question number one. Are you doing the homework? Are you? See, weak preaching is, you know, we all ought to be doing the homework. I'm asking you individually. Are you doing the homework? Two questions to help you clarify that. Who is right now teaching you? Can you, can you put a name down to that? 
It might, it might be a good teacher online or something like that. Make sure it's a good one because there's plenty of bad ones. But who is it that's teaching you? Then secondly, who are you teaching? Now, I don't mean a Sunday school class teacher. Thank you for you doing that. I appreciate y'all do that. But who is a new believer, a struggling believer, someone who's weakened or, or frustrated or tired or in need, and you're pulling alongside of them to teach them? I have two names right now that I meet with individually to help them learn and grow and, and do those things. And then the question is for me to ask you, how much is too much for us to do? The answer is we can't hit that mark. We can never do too much. We can never go too far. We can never give too much. We can never serve too much. We can never love too much. We can never fellowship too much. We can never love people to Jesus and disciple them and what it means to be a Christian too much. To bring that into focus, is it your child or grandchild or your loved one, the one too far that you don't want anybody to talk to them because we got too many already? Of course not. It's never too many. It's never too much to do. So I want to give you an invitation here. I'm going to invite you to do business with God about this. And I would invite you to come down here and pray and encourage other people. If you're not doing both of those things, you need to repent and do them. Repent and obey. There's only two reasons you wouldn't be doing it. One is you're in rebellion against God and you're just not doing it. The second is you don't know him personally. So how can you when you don't know him? So you need to repent and be saved and obey. Right? In other words, we all need to repent and obey. Because all of us can do it better and all of us need to do it. So if you're lost, I want you today, if you don't know Christ, if you died right now, you don't know you'd go to heaven. I want to introduce you to Jesus, who is the one who will get you across the finish line. The Bible says, he that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He is calling you not only to become a Christian, but to the Christians he's calling us to be like him. You need to be able to name two names. Somebody's discipling you, somebody you're discipling. Somebody you're learning from, somebody you're teaching it to. But if you don't know Christ, first you need to come to Christ. So I am inviting you to come down here. I'm going to stand right here. Come talk to me. If you know what you need to do and you want to pray, you come pray. But whatever you're going to do, now is the time. We're going to sing a song. And I want you to do that as we all stand right now together. And as that music begins, you start coming right now.